They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. And Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. Always love to start with Nathan grunting into his microphone. Uh, welcome back to Magellan's at the Movies, the podcast that the New York Times called the most exciting new voice in film criticism. Uh, so wow, I'm glad to have that. Yeah, Nathan, love to hear it. We've got some, we've got some, uh, some film and TV news that I'm curious to get your take on that I've been oh, hearing boy. recently. Uh, I'm going to start out with the most important thing in our lives. Jesus, uh, Martin Scorsese is making a movie about the the big JC himself, based on a book by this the, by the guy who wrote Silence. So uh, another collaboration between those yes. two. Have you heard about this, or is this something that you're interested in? Uh, I saw it. I guess I didn't look too deep into it because i thought his next movie was already kind of like set in stone as the wager but i guess this is gonna come before that i'm fairly excited for it i've read silence i love silence if you listen to our episode on silence i'm a big fan i find it kind of interesting how it seems like everyone talking about this seems to forget that scorsese already made a movie about jesus that this is going to be his second movie about jesus but yeah, I'm excited for it. I'm very, I feel like Scorsese, as he's gotten older, maybe is reconnecting with his Catholicism a little bit. He's making a bit more religious movies or certainly movies with a bit of a religious bent. So I don't know. I, I'm interested to see it. And I like Scorsese. So I'll obviously I'll be going to the film in theaters whenever it comes out. Yeah. Uh, Marty met with the Pope recently, Pope Francis. Did he so really? That a fun, yeah, that must have been a fun meeting. What language does Francis speak? Because isn't he from like a South American country? Yeah, but I feel like he's got a note. He's got a, probably English, Spanish, I guess Latin, obviously Latin. as well. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the other things were, there was a trailer for Halo Season 2, terrible. Uh, I did not finish Halo <laughs> Season 1 because I was not enjoying myself very much. Um, Caitlin Deaver, or Dever, has been cast as Abby yes. in The Last of Us Season 2. That's an interesting cast. Uh, I guess, I don't know, she, she doesn't really seem to have the kind of physicality for that role. Maybe she's going to do some bulking up bulk up um yeah and then the big one is the golden globes that we were talking about a bit before we started uh, oppenheimer really cleaned up we got wins for killian murphy rdj uh the composer ludwig something i can't remember his last name ludwig. Uh, and of course yes and of course christopher nolan yeah pretty pretty exciting uh i think 
this pretty much cemented Oppenheimer as the movie to beat um, Poor Things won Best Comedy. So Poor Things continues to be in the running. There's always an outside chance that like the Holdovers or Killers of the Flower Moon could make a run. I think that's kind of unlikely at this stage. And especially after um, this week, a lot of the guilds, like the Directors Guild, the Screen Actors Guild, announced their nominees for their awards. And Oppenheimer universally showing up, getting nominated for everything, everywhere, all at once. That's a reference. But... <laughs> yeah, it look it looks like uh Oppenheimer is going to be the movie to beat. Elliot's a lot more excited than me. I'm happy that Nolan's finally going to get some awards recognition. This was a I don't know if you saw this, but this was the first major director award Christopher Nolan has ever won. He has not won I knew he hadn't won an Oscar, but he hasn't won a BAFTA. He hasn't won, or at least I don't think he's won, a BAFTA, a Golden Globe. This was the first major award he's received for directing. And this guy directed Inception. (laughs) That's crazy. That is a real miscarriage of justice right there. But uh, yeah, congratulations to all the winners. I heard that the host wasn't very good or was a bit um, awkward. That's too bad. But no one cares. No one cares about the host, honestly, except to say when they're annoying, which is always. So that's kind of a kind of a wash. But circling back to Pope Francis, he's Argentinian. And speaking mm. of Catholicism, we've got ourselves a group of Catholic gangsters in today. Why are you why are you making such a bemused expression? This is a perfect segue. Catholicism looms large in the subject of today's episode, which is a Goliath, a Leviathan, a titan of cinema. Uh, Nathan, introduce us to The Godfather. Yeah, this is Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather, widely regarded as one of the greatest movies of all time, as one of the greatest series of all time, if not Godfather 1, Godfather Part 2, certainly uh, included in these conversations. If you're completely unaware of what The Godfather is, you've definitely seen parodies of this movie. You've seen parodies of Marlon Brando's performance. You've seen parodies of the iconic scenes in the film. Uh, But The Godfather itself is a movie about... Uh, I think it's it's about a lot of things. There's a lot of moving parts, but the fundamental kind of thing is a kind of passing of the torch from Don Vito Corleone, who is the godfather at the beginning of the movie, to his son, Michael Corleone, who has just returned from war. The movie follows the Corleone family over a period of 10 years from 1945 to 1955. And it kind of follows Michael as he slowly is pulled into the family business. And he slowly turned into uh, the godfather and one of these crime people. Uh, There's a lot going on here. In terms of my own experience with the movie, I watched Godfather and Godfather Part 2 a long time ago. We watched it when I was in high school, maybe? Like high school or college? 
And I had not rewatched it since. I had been meaning to rewatch it constantly because I remembered really enjoying it and was constantly like, man, I should really <laughs> go back and see if that's true. See if the massive weight of praise that this movie gets is deserving. And so I was really excited to finally have a chance to do that, to go back, listen, watch to the film, talk about it. I'm really excited to talk, to talk about it now, just to kind of spoil my thoughts. I thought the movie was even better than I thought it was when I first saw it. I'm super excited to talk about this. Uh, I, there's so many other things you can talk about in regards to The Godfather in terms of the director and the producer and it's, you know, kind of where it lands in film history as a whole in terms of the 70s. We're not going to get into all that because no one cares except me and maybe Elliot. But uh, Elliot, what's, you know, what's your experience with The Godfather? What were your expectations coming in and uh, what are your opening thoughts? Uh, that's a lot of questions. We'll take them in turn. Uh, like you said, we watched this together some years ago. I distinctly remember having to go downstairs to the basement TV to watch at least part of The Godfather Part 2. So that's uh, that's kind of where we were at. I remembered liking them. I don't think I remembered loving them. And then, yeah, pretty much like you, I always meant to go back and rewatch them, reevaluate them. And this gave me the perfect excuse. This was a movie that you chose, uh, and I was I was up for it to re-experience it. And I watched it last night, and I am pleased to say that I enjoyed it immensely. I wasn't really like Nathan. You seem like really amped up, really excited. I'm not sure. I'm like I wasn't really buzzing after the movie was done. I just felt really satisfied. I felt like I had just I had been mm. hungry for a long time, and I had just eaten a really good hearty fulfilling meal that's how i felt about this movie it's not the most complex thing i've ever seen uh in terms of the themes or the characters or the plot dynamics or anything like that but it's just so well constructed and well crafted there's some fantastic scenes in this that include lots of little touches that i really appreciate I want to say, because I'm really afraid that I'll forget it, but in the scene where Luca Brasi gets murked and he's he like leans over the bar to get a cigarette lit by one of the other people, and the guy lighting his cigarette just like glances over his shoulder for like a split second. Um, and I was like, oh, that's so cool. That's so good. Because uh, obviously he's looking at the person who's about to um, take him out just little stuff like that that i really appreciated it's a very sumptuous movie i keep on coming back to food metaphors but it's very it's very sumptuous <laughs> meaty it's hearty uh a lot of the reviews i was reading called it a lot like historical epics which i i agree it's it's a it's this year spanning saga of a single family you don't need to you don't need me to tell you that this movie has good performances. You've heard that from every corner <laughs> of the internet. There were some things that I found like maybe a little bit sloppy on the writing front uh, that kind of worked to get these payoffs that were a little bit clunky, but those I have pretty much nitpicks is all I've got in terms of criticism for this movie. Mm. On the whole, I think it was great. I love the cinematography. 
I love the performances. I love the story. I love the richness of the characters and the world that it, it that you inhabit when you watch this movie. I thought it was great. I thought it absolutely earned its place at the forefront of the cinematic media. Wow. Oh, I'm so glad that you like, I was really not excited if this was going to be an episode where I'm, you absolutely clocked it. I am buzzing. I'm super excited to watch. Uh, I got a box set of all three of them. So I'm really excited to rewatch the second one and then watch the third one for the first time ever. Um, just cause I enjoyed this movie immensely. I like what you said. It's so sumptuous. It, you said a historical epic. I was talking before we started recording that a lot of the reviews I read t- described it as Shakespearean. I feel like it's almost American myth-making that this is the kind of story that in 300 years people would tell as like indicative of American culture and American ideas. Like, from the first line, right? The, the guy saying, I love America. America is where I've made my fortune. The movie is very indebted to this idea of what does an American success look like? And maybe, you know, there's some darkness in that sort of thing. I I'm so excited. Like you said, though, there's a lot of stuff going on. So I think maybe we should start with some of the technical aspects before we move into maybe some of the meteor aspects of, you know, the themes and the characters. Uh, This movie is incredibly, incredibly well-constructed. The cinematography is so good. It's Gordon Willis. I was reading reviews. Again, there's so much analysis of this film out on the internet. But the cinematography is, the thing that I really loved, and this was something that I saw repeated in a lot of reviews, is how dark the cinematography is, how willing the movie is to not super clearly show you what's going on. It never felt like an issue to me. It never felt like they were hiding something important, but there's so many scenes in low lighting where, you know, people are hanging out with just one tiny lamp lit in the corner in a giant room and they're just sitting in darkness. And it really feels, it gives the movie a certain feeling of, of just, you know, darkness, things happening in the shadows of there being a lot of stuff to be afraid of just kind of lurking right around the corner. Um, All of the other technical aspects are also really good. I really enjoyed, I didn't expect to really enjoy this because I had never felt like I had seen a lot of stuff about this being really good, but I really enjoyed the music, the score of the film. I thought it did a fantastic job of setting the mood of, again, a feeling of almost nostalgia of how big this whole story is. I feel like all of the technical elements were helping to bring this thought to the forefront of my mind as I was watching the movie. So yeah, cinematography, the score, the editing, I, you know, this movie is like three hours long. I never felt like it was crawling at a glacial pace. I feel like the editing is really, is snappy it's quick enough it's moving you through this huge story with the proper amount of speed not so fast that you feel like it's breezing past important moments but not so slow that you are just (laughs) bored out of your mind it's really just 
again, I cannot impress how Im- just impeccably constructed this movie is, how perfectly put together this film is in every conceivable way. It's, you know, it's just really, really good, Elliot. <laughs> it is. I agree. Uh, we should also say in the spirit of giving due credit, this is based on a book by Mario Puzo or Puzo. I'm not 100% sure how it's pronounced. So- uh, but yeah, the book of the same name, it was a bestseller. So great job, Mario. I I agree. I was really struck by the cinematography this time around. I was I noticed the lighting and the darkness and the really heavy film grain that was going mm. on. Like it was like it was bordering on blurry. It was it looked a bit like our terrible picture quality here, <laughs> except more artistic. Because I don't say that in a pejorative sense at all. I think that it absolutely worked for the dark story that was being told. I noticed a lot of like shots that looked like they were being filmed from a distance and had just been zoomed in. Especially mm. in the opening uh, wedding scene, which I was I was so into that wedding scene. I was like, wow, this is this is like one of the best opening scenes of all time because it did such a good job of quickly and effectively setting up relationships, personalities, dynamics, power levels, all that kind of stuff. I thought that was great. The writing was firing on all cylinders in this opening scene. But yeah, there were a lot of scenes where the camera was just kind of following people through this big crowd of people, and it looked like the camera was somewhere high up and was looking at a fairly big distance such that Oftentimes, the shots reminded me of tableaus, uh, if mm. you have any idea what that means. It's a, it's a, usually a picture, sometimes like a staged production, of a bunch of people, usually in a big historical moment. So they're typically very crowded. They are at a pretty far back remove. Um, I think they were pretty popular in Renaissance paintings, or maybe a little later. Um... But yeah, you've probably if you see if you watch this movie and you've seen enough paintings, you will I must I hope because <laughs> I hope that I'm not insane on this. I hope that you will recognize that kind of uh, framing and density of characters. So all that's great. I also really liked the music. It was very brassy at times and other times very string heavy. Uh, it didn't really re- remind me of classical music but it it was very distinct it had a very distinct sound and i thought that there were some fantastic crescendos especially in the famous scene of many when uh they put the horse's head in the guy's bed and he, <laughs> he wakes up and the music starts going insane and it was it was it was great a great marriage of soundtrack and uh scene so yeah Technical elements, no notes. Great job, everyone. Great job. Oh gosh, I'll while Nathan talks, I'll look up the composer and the lighting technicians and stuff so everyone can get their due. Receive due credit. Yeah. Well, I think to move kind of to the next, uh, I guess, still kind of technically in the technical sense, and you brought him up. Mario Puzza did write the screenplay 
for this movie, as well as writing the book, there's a famous, somewhat, you know, possibly apocryphal story where when he was set to start writing the Godfather Part Two screenplay, Mario Puzza had no previous experience writing screenplays, so he decided to buy a book that was like how to write a good screenplay. And in the first chapter, it basically just said, uh, watch The Godfather, because that's like the perfect screenplay. And so Mario Puzza said, oh, guess I'm good. So threw away the book and <laughs> wrote The Godfather Part Two. But the screenplay, I think the screenplay is fantastic. There's so many iconic lines from this movie. And despite how oversaturated some of these lines have been in pop culture and in the general cultural zeitgeist, I feel like they still have such a huge impact. Like, I'm going to make him an offer you can't refuse. It's a great line when it's first said. And then near the end of the movie, when Michael goes to Nevada and he's going to talk to Mo Green and Fredo saying like, oh, there's no way he's going to sell. He'll never sell to you. And Michael says, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Just chills. It's such a fantastic callback obviously I'm trying to think of the other great line, you know, leave the gun, take the cannoli. That's another great line. And I think is contributing along with the cinematography and the, you already said it's such a fantastic opening scene. I also think it's an amazing opening scene because it right away sets up everything that this movie is about. It's about family and more specifically about the Corleone family and both kind of the positives and the negatives that I'll be honest, vanishingly few positives and the large amount of negatives The the Corleone family, right? They are a family. We have the wedding scenes where, right. It's the classic wedding things are happening. People are dancing, people are drinking, they're having a good time. And then in the shadows, right, the Godfather is granting requests, is granting requests of people to have people killed, have people attacked, have, you know, people strong-armed into things. And so you have the normal family sort of dynamics existing right next to this evil, I guess you could say, the immoral parts of the family. And... It's such a fantastic, uh, the screenplay does such an amazing job of constantly bringing this idea to the forefront of the film without ever feeling like it's trying too hard or like it's preachy or pretentious. I, I felt like the movie was constantly introducing these ideas in such an organic way. Again, it the, really the only way I can describe it is like it's a myth of a story about real people and that there's something to be gained from watching it. And just in taking it in and then thinking about it and mulling over it. So, and I think the screenplay does a huge job. I really want to read the book now after seeing this movie, just to see what else, you know, is in the book that's not in the movie that's maybe better or something. But I think the screenplay is fantastic. I think all of those great lines, uh, ex you know, stick around for a really good reason. It's because they are fantastic lines. Luca Braza sleeps with the fishes. That's another one. Yeah, I agree. Um, so the there is no, like, lighting head listed in the credits. So whoever you are, 
good job. The editing that you mentioned was done by William Reynolds and Peter Zinner. And then the music was by Nino Rota. So excellent job, fellas. Um, yeah, I, I have nothing really to add. I enjoy all those lines. I, I wasn't like over the moon about any of them <laughs> in the same way that I really, I really understood the iconography, the iconic status of lines in Casablanca, but still very good. And the screenplay, mm. yes, fantastic writing going on with a few exceptions that I'll mention later on. What was I going to say? Oh yeah. The, the thing that I was constantly struck by in terms of this movie's like story or its ideas, if we want to move in that direction, was just how ridiculous this facade of the Corleones and the mafia in general was. Like mm -hmm. this uh, emphasis on family when they're like abusive hub husbands and cheating husbands and stuff and uh, neglectful parents um this idea that if you don't sell drugs to children and just sell drugs to black people that makes you a good person that makes it somehow honorable <laughs> this idea that they had constructed something honorable and dignified when they're just a bunch of crooks and murderers I'm hoping that that was intentional and that I'm not actually supposed to be like, wow, these guys are great people. I'm so happy that they're thriving. But yeah, and <laughs> the same thing honestly happened with the uh, with the police. Like, it, it was coming from all sides. Like, the police, um, in the scene where the police arrive at the hospital and they just beat the snot. Well, they don't beat the snot, but they just hit uh, Michael for no reason. They're just... They're just a bunch of thugs. So that was the one thing that really stuck out to me. I don't know how much of that you noticed or if you're on board or what you – what's your take on the, like – I I I I'm feeling increasingly like I wish I had a better word for the thematic elements. But what the movie is about in a more meta sense. Yeah, I think, like I kind of said earlier, I don't think the movie is about one idea in the same way that, like, uh, I'm trying to think of a movie that's just, like, Parasite is obviously very focused on its idea of interrogating the class divide, right? I don't think The Godfather is about something like that. I think what's interesting about it is what can we glean from the story that's being told to us. And I think absolutely one of the big things that also stuck out to me, especially in that scene that you were just describing, where, yeah, they're saying, oh, I'm not going to sell, like, uh, I'll get in the drug business, but we got to do it well. No selling drugs to kids. I was like, are you looking for a hand for that? Like, congrats, you're not selling drugs to children, but you're still, you know, destroying the community you're a part of. I. I also got that sense too, where they're constantly talking about family and family so important and all this stuff. And then Paulie gets killed just because he was sick and couldn't, you know, be there to help defend Don Corleone on the day of his assassination attempt. That it's like you care so much about family, but if you get sick and you make one mistake, that's it. You're done, right? That it's, and I think one of the lines I wrote down is when Michael kind of tells his plan to kill um, the police chief and I can't remember the other guy's name, 
but the other guy who was kind of pivotal in Don Corleone being uh, attacked. When Michael shares his plan, Sonny, kind of his brother, makes fun of him. And he says, like, hey, you know, you got punched by a cop and now you want to kill someone. Like, we get it. It's personal for you. And Michael says it's not personal. It's business. And all through the movie, everyone keeps highlighting this kind of how business like near the end. Right. When uh, Sally, Sally is getting let off, he says, hey, tell Michael it wasn't personal, it's just business. And I think it's such, again, it's on the same level of that, where it's like they've created such a facade to hide behind, where they can say it's just business. And I would say if your business is hurting and killing people, that is personal, like that's inherently personal. You know, it's like a bully saying like, oh, it's not personal. It's just business. It's like, well, it feels pretty personal. When you call me a, you know, a moron, it felt personal. And I think that's another thing where it feels very, it feels very authentic. And it feels, again, very authentically American to have to try and trick yourself into thinking you're a better person than you are of coming up with some way to say, oh, I'm not a bad person, right? I'm not a bad person because I'm a gangster. It's just business. It's not personal. I killed this guy because he killed my son. It's just business. And so I think that's one of the things that I really saw in the movie kind of as, as I was going through it and thinking about what was happening in the story. Yeah, a lot of the reviews that I read were talk were talking about this movie's relationship to like the American dream because it's an immigrant story. Mm. It's a rags to riches story uh, that comes into focus a lot more in the sequel, of course, uh, with the story of Vito Corleone's rise to power, but, and how that, that that's all like built on. It's, it's, it's not something that they achieved through like, the system such as such as it exists it's something that uh they had to fight and scratch and kill and steal their way to so a certain mendacity at the heart of the american dream may be what's sort of on trial here that's interesting i find that very interesting i i find that satisfying uh to think about engaging intellectually I'm not sure i agree a hundred percent but it doesn't matter art is about challenging yourself with these kinds of ideas so yeah, I don't have a whole lot. Like I said at the beginning, I don't have a whole lot to say about the movie's themes. I don't think it's the most thematically dense movie I've ever seen. I don't think it needs to be. I don't think it's trying to be. Like you said, it's about a lot more stuff than just one like philosophical treatise or anything or cultural uh, critique. It's more about the characters, uh, the story, the plot, the world at its heart. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about characters um these are some great characters these are some of the most famous characters in all of movie history of course we've got the headliner the godfather played by the late great actor not uh, a bit of a jerk in real life um marlon brando who again like he's not super complex there is a contradiction at his heart as with all the other characters of this refined respectable sophisticated gentleman who makes his living on murder and thievery and um 
illicit, basically illicit means, uh, which is interesting. And Marlon Brando, I mean, again, what what can I say that hasn't been said about Marlon Brando in this movie? He's captivating. Uh, he captures the essence of this character perfectly. Same with uh, James Caan as the volcanically intemperate Sonny. Um, oh, gosh. Now I've forgotten his name. John Cazale, whose tragically short career is also staffed with, like, five of the most well-regarded movies in all of history. So tragically short, but also insanely successful career as Fredo, a bit of a flighty, unserious character. Al Pacino as Michael, who starts out wanting to hold his family business at an arm's length, but gets drawn in through, uh, like you said, obviously personal reasons. Like he becomes personally invested Mm. in revenge for his father um, and then revenge for his brother. And then, yes, Robert Duvall, who plays the role that he was born to play. Robert Duvall was born to play a mafia fixer uh, like this. Very well-trimmed, very clean-cut, but still there's an element of coldness and ruthlessness to him that I think Robert Duvall captures perfectly. Uh, What's her name? Diane Keaton? Isn't that? Yeah. Um, Yes, Diane Keaton as Kay Adams, Michael's uh, sort of on and, again, on and off again flame. Great job there. Yeah, I mean, but, but there's, what can I say? These performances are legendary, and they're legendary for a reason. Yeah, uh, I think it's tough because I everyone in this movie captures their role so impe- impeccably. I agree. Robert Duvall is – he was probably – the two people who stood out the most to me just in terms of just being a huge scene stealer was Robert Duvall and Al Pacino. Marlon Brando is fantastic as the Godfather. James Caan is great as Sonny. Everyone is doing a fantastic job. I think Robert Duvall is so fantastic in this movie of just, again, that kind of business-like, uh, very casual. I love him in the scene with the Hollywood guy when he says, you know, thanks for a great meal and a great evening before leaving and, you know, sending somebody to do some awful things to a horse. But the the thing that I really want to highlight here, because it was the thing that impressed me the most in watching this movie, Al Pacino as Michael is just so fantastic. He does such an amazing job of going through this character arc of the beginning of this movie where he's, you know, kind of clueless. He's kind of, uh, he's, you know, green around the ears, I think is one of the sayings you could attribute to him. And you can see all of these little things that are pushing him towards becoming who he becomes by the end of the movie, which is just this dead eyed, ruthless crime boss that, some of the scenes that stood out to me in this, or one of the scenes that stood out to me was when he's uh, kind of kept in the house after Don Vito gets shot. And um, shoot, I can't remember his name, but it's the other, not the guy who betrays them, but the other guy. Uh, He's in the kitchen and he's like, hey, Michael, come over here. Like you might need to cook for 20 guys someday and starts explaining how he's making the sauce to him. And it just felt to me like such a 
you know, he's the son of a crime boss. He's here with all these gangsters and he's being taught how to cook. Like that had to be so galling to him to be like, this is, this is what my job's going to be. I'm assuming Michael's a sexist because he is a sexist in the movie. So there's got to be a piece of him that's like, that's not the role I want to inhabit. And then you can see over the course of the rest of the movie, him slowly fitting into the role that he does want to inhabit, which is this dead-eyed gangster. I love the scene uh, in Italy when he kind of has the hots for this Italian woman and they stop at a cafe and it turns out that woman is the daughter of the cafe owner. And so the cafe owner's inside and he's yelling and he's upset and Michael gets him to come out and then he talks to him and you can see the beginnings of him taking on a Godfather-esque role that he's trying to fit into. He's trying to be like his dad, which, you know, again, we could go down a whole rabbit trail there, right? That there's beyond just the, there's such a family element to this movie that I think this movie does such a great job. But I, I just think Al Pacino does such a fantastic job uh, the other scene that was really impressive to me is when he comes out of the bathroom to kill the two guys, he sits down and his eyes are just flicking all over the place. As you can see him kind of on the precipice of this pivotal action, trying to decide once and for all, is this the kind of person I want to be? Is this who I want to become? And he ends up choosing yes. He you know, shoots both of them. But I think Al Pacino, everyone in this movie, it's easy to overlook because they're so praised, but they so much deserve the praise they're getting. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, he likes it. Michael at the beginning of the mm. movie, he's kind of kidding himself when he's saying that he, that that's not the kind of person he is. I thought that the scene, well, the wedding scene when he's with, Kay, his then girlfriend, and he's telling her about how his father convinced a band runner to let a singer go because the singer was uh, a personal friend of the Godfather's, and he wanted to. The singer wanted to go out on his own. The band, the band runner, wasn't letting him out of his contract. So he tells the story that ends up with them putting a gun in the band runner's face and forcing him to let the guy go for this really cheap cost. And as he's telling it, Michael has this like little smile on his face that tells you like he's thinking, oh, that's so cool. That's so manly. That's so hard. And then Kay, the shot cuts to her and she doesn't really say anything, but she her expression makes it clear that she finds this rightly horrifying. And so then he backpedals a bit and he says, that's not the kind of person I am, though. That's my that's my family. But in those scenes that you were talking about, like it's so clear through Al Pacino's performance that he relishes the kind of power that this role affords him. The power over life and death, the power to get the hots for this woman and then just tell a guy, I'm going to marry your daughter now, suck it. Uh, that So there is something, there is absolutely, like you said, something very Shakespearean in that, in that arc from of somebody mm. who's corrupted by power. It's very Macbeth-esque. Yeah. I'm, gosh, I just, I, I think that's the other 
thing that I would really like to highlight is how much the movie sucks you into the family and the world that they've created. Even though I can't successfully remember everyone's name in the thing, everyone is so distinct in the world that the movie has created. When the Godfather meet, when Don Corleone meets with all of the families, it feels like a big deal that they're right. Here's the heads of the five families and they're sitting down to talk about a possible truce and, I just think I was so absorbed in the world and the family when Sonny was killed, when Sonny was, you know, just completely shot to pieces on the turnpike or whatever. And when it's probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie, which I shouldn't say, because I think there's so many scenes that I think are amazing. But then when Tom and Don Corleone are down, are they're sitting at this table and Don Corleone kind of knows something's up, but Tom hasn't told him yet. And he's got a great line where he says, you know, I was waiting to tell you. And Don Corleone says, yeah, you were, you know, you were getting another drink to get up your courage. And Tom takes a drink and Don Corleone goes, there's your drink. And then Tom tells him and Marlon Brando's performance is fantastic. You can see him just you know, this old world weary man, you can see just the air go out of him. And he's, he's like, you know, my son, my son is dead. And it, again, even though Sonny is a terrible person and all of these people are kind of bad people, I was so sucked into the world. I was kind of bummed. And then when he takes the body to the funeral man and he says like, hey, I need you to fix this so his mom doesn't have to see him in all these pieces, I was really emotional. Like I was feeling feelings despite the fact that I knew, right. That this was a, not a good person. And I think that's just a testament to the movie sucking you into the world and it having such a universal framework of being about family that you, you can lose yourself in a few of these moments and, you know, just get really emotional. I felt emotionally invested in it, even though, you know, I'm not happy that Michael comes out on top at the end, but I am kind of like, hey, I'm glad the Corleones didn't all get killed. <laughs> yeah, I can't say that I was really, like, emotional about any of that. I certainly could appreciate and respect the skill of the performances. I guess I have a stronger moral compass than Nathan that I was able to see past uh, the, the tears and be like, okay, yeah, but this is kind of living by the sword, dying by the sword sort of thing. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I don't have a whole lot to add. I didn't, Nathan seems to have connected with this movie on a much more emotional level than I did. I definitely, I, like I said, I definitely loved it. I definitely enjoyed it immensely. I kind of, my experience was more like, this is just a, this is a really impressive work of art in a museum that I was like, wow, the, the, the mastery on display here is incredible. This is, there, there's so much obvious skill and passion in this that, that I respect more than I was like, this is something that 
personally, intimately affects me, which isn't going to impact the grade negatively. It's just a different experience of mine. I do want to say my my one nitpick was there were two moments that I was that they were really early on that made me think like, oh, dang, that was kind of sloppy. Is this is this going to happen all the time? <laughs> the the first one was when uh, Tom Hagen, Robert Duvall's character, goes to this movie magnet to try to convince him to give the singer person a, a big studio role. Um, he gets invited to his house and the studio guy shows him his horse pretty randomly. And it's obvious that it was just to set up, we're going to put this guy, this horse in this guy's bed, which is a little sloppy. And then the other one was at dinner, he goes off the handle and explains why he's not going to accept their request. And then he says, now get out of here. And I was like, why did he invite him here if nothing had changed? Like, he rebuffed him at the movie studio, and then apparently he learned that he was a client for Vito Corleone, so he invited him back just to tell him the same thing? It was weird. It was clunky. It wasn't a big deal. But I did have to point out that at that point in the movie, I had loved the first scene. I had been loving it, and then that happened, and I was like, oh, dang, is this going to actually be a little clunky? But that ended up being pretty much the only moment where I was where I noticed that the payoff was a product of a less than stellar setup. Hmm. I didn't notice that. Uh, I think if I had to say nitpicks, um, I, like any three hour long movie, there's some moments that I just question if we need to be necessarily holding on that thing for that long. But Again, it's it's hard to critique the movie for that because it I think it is doing so much to draw you into the world of the film that I don't know if you could I don't think the movie would be better if you necessarily cut those. But there's some there's just some stuff when Michael is in Italy that I'm like, eh, do we need this scene? Is this crucial? Um, and some of it is, like you were saying, kind of an obvious setup payoff thing. Stuff like when he's teaching his wife to drive, that's clearly setting up for her to be the one that the car bomb goes off on later in the movie then. But again, it's not a bad thing. I felt like most of those setups were organic enough to me that it didn't annoy me. But there just were some moments in Italy where I was like, eh, what's the point of this? scene and that I still don't necessarily a hundred percent feel like there's a strong point outside of again just the world of the movie so I guess Elliot if you don't have any other nitpicks before we get to ratings I just have to real quick run down uh I just have to say two things first of all uh the horse's head in that scene is a real horse's head because Francis Ford Coppola hates animals and apparently they used to make dog food out of horses. So he asked a nearby dog food company if he could have a horse's head. So that was a real horse's head. And again, he kills a real cow in, cow in apocalypse now. So he really hates animals. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, the baby in the baptism scene is Sophia Coppola, which is interesting. 
as well as the baptism scene is like transcendently amazing. That is probably the best scene in the movie. It is so fantastic. Again, it's so much of this same push and pull that the movie exists in where there's Michael at his sister at his, you know, becoming the godfather to his sister's child. So there's family intercut with Michael ruthlessly killing everyone who has wronged him in this movie. And it's, it's so fantastic. The buildup to it, the cross cutting, the editing, the music, him answering, uh, do you renounce Satan and all of his temptations and him saying yes, as his goons are shooting and killing all of these people is so fantastic. It is such an amazing scene. Absolutely love it. I like I like a lot of the scenes. I could not go through and say all of my favorite scenes because again, there's just so many fantastic scenes in this movie. But uh, yeah, do you have any closing thoughts before we get to some uh, ratings here? No, I also love that scene. That's a fantastic culmination of Michael's arc. Um, it, and it, it is it is cold-blooded. It's ruthless. I love the last shot of this movie after he's lied to his wife about murdering his sister's husband. And it's just her looking into the room and then the door the door shuts. Great stuff, man. Um, I do. I You made a mistake and brought up a scene that I, I also love that scene. And I do. I didn't remember that the final shot of the movie is – her i thought for some reason the final shot was just him and then the door closing but the final shot is her which i feel like leaves i mean it's maybe um six one way half a dozen another but it feels so much more like awful and final to have the final shot of the movie being this woman who uh, it seems genuinely kind of cares about michael and does want michael to be a good person her disappointed face having the door shut in it. it it feels so awful and then godfather part two just exists in that awfulness for like three and a half hours but um yeah i just wanted to say that about that scene anyway continue elliot yeah um i'm just gonna go into my my rating now uh i Nathan has obviously taken the lion's share of the praise for this movie. I second everything that he said. Maybe not to like quite the same extent, but certainly I'm up there with him. I thought this movie was great. I thought it was a very rich, satisfying, fulfilling story. Incredibly well told with fantastic performances, great characters, great lines, great screenplay, great music, lighting. Anything you point to in this movie, I'm probably going to say, oh, that's great. Um, there are a few writing quibbles that I had at the very beginning, but they're very minor and they are in service to legitimately cool, well done payoffs. Uh, rest in peace, that horse, your death was not in vain, I guess. Um, I'm, that's a joke. Obviously that's, uh, not appropriate to do, but, uh, yeah, I thought that this movie was great. I thought that it absolutely earned its place as one of the best movies of all time. Uh, I personally can't give it a perfect score just because I didn't it, connect to it on that deeply personal, emotional level that I connect to movies that I give perfect scores to, but I am more than willing to give it an A. Wow. Well, I think we're, I mean, I could, 
I connected with it on a bit of an emotional level, not as emotional as I am about like La La Land or something that I feel like is like saying something that genuinely speaks to an experience that I feel I have. I don't really feel like I have much of this experience. Although talking to my dad is similar to talking to Don Corleone. He's always talking about killing people and stuff. <laughs> anyway, that's a joke. Um, yeah, I love this movie. I thought it was fantastic. I think it absolutely deserves all of the praise it has received. And I think this is a movie, if you've never seen it and you think that's just some film bro nonsense or that's just some stupid cinema people getting together and randomly picking movies that they love. Uh, I would strongly encourage you to watch this movie. It's so fantastic. It's so well-made. It Again, it feels like modern American myth-making. It feels like something that is crucial to our vision of ourselves and the culture that exists in America. So, yeah, I have a few quibbles over length and some of the time we spend in Italy, but overall, fantastic movie. I'm going to give it a 9.4. I feel like I've talked myself up. I was at like a 9.1, and then over the course of this review, I've added some points. And I'm really, I'm so excited to watch Godfather Part 2. So, yeah, let's get to some recommendations. Elliot, you go first. You've got a pretty good recommendation, so uh, why don't you share it with the listeners? Yeah, so I said to Nathan before we started recording that it's hard to do a recommendation that doesn't seem blindingly obvious because so much of this genre, the like crime gangster epic, has been shaped by The Godfather. So I just leaned into it and I chose another crime drama epic that I really enjoy from the master of the crime drama epic Martin Scorsese, and that's The Departed. Um, I prefer Martin Scorsese's non-gangster movies to his gangster movies, the only exception being The Departed. I think that this is his best gangster movie. I'm sorry, good fellas, but that's just the way I feel. It is very, it feels like it has a few more layers of style than the other ones have, um, or at least a different kind of style than the other ones have. This one feels a little bit darker, a little bit less fun than the other ones, which I think is to its credit. It's got a fantastic performance from Jack Nicholson, who is going insane as uh, a very a sadistic gangster. Um, it's If you didn't know, it's about an undercover cop trying to take down the leader of a Boston mafia. Um, and an undercover mafia guy trying to throw the police off his ta- off the tail of his boss, the gangster who is the target of the undercover cop's investigation. Like The Godfather, it's this really fulfilling, meaty movie. It's like two and a half hours or so of just maneuvering amidst the different factions, everyone trying to get the upper hand on each other, lots of betrayals, double crosses, and it's got one of the most, like, jaw-dropping blunt shocks I've ever had in a movie close to the end. If you know, you know. Nathan's, Nathan clearly <laughs> knows. So I'm not going to spoil that, obviously. But yeah, it's a really good movie. It's really entertaining. Perfect if you like gangster crime movies. Perfect if you liked The Godfather. 
Yeah, I can definitely second that. Uh, my jaw doesn't usually drop when I'm watching movies, even movies that are kind of surprising. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about because my jaw hit the floor and pretty much stayed there for the rest of the film. That was, it comes out of nowhere. It's crazy. Uh, yeah, that's a very good movie. I enjoy it in a lot of the same ways that Elliot was talking. Uh, I went with uh, a different direction than Elliot. I've been talking quite a bit about how much I feel like this movie is kind of the modern American myth. So I was trying to think of another movie that's similar to that, has a similar kind of feeling to that, in my opinion. And so I'm going to go with The Social Network, David Fincher's movie about the creation of Facebook. Because I think it has all of those same things. It feels like the modern American myth I mean, much more modern than obviously The Godfather, which is set in the 40s. But even more so, it feels just as Shakespearean as The Godfather. It feels like it encapsulates something that's so fundamental about American culture, which is our infatuation with connection and social sort of utility and social events. And it just does such a fantastic job of boiling down all of those things to their bare essentials in the story that it tells about Mark Zuckerberg, which, you know, if you know anything about Mark Zuckerberg, the movie has maybe very little that is actually true about what actually happened in the real world. But if you watch it just as, again, this sort of modern American Shakespearean rise and fall it is so fascinating. It's just like The Godfather, impeccably well-made, amazing performances. I adore this movie. I could watch it all the time. So that's going to be my recommendation. Yeah, I give that a very enthusiastic second. That's a fantastic movie. David Fincher does not miss, usually, uh, and he absolutely hit it with that one. Not sure it's the. it's a great recommendation for the godfather but it's a great recommendation for me. <laughs> whatever but hey uh i just want to say here at the at the dawn of the new year i've already said it at the dawn of the new year but i want to re-emphasize in the beginnings of the new year that life is hard and full of disappointments we all know this we feel it in our bones we feel it in our hearts we see it in the world every day and it's important to stay cognizant of that Whatever. Life is not hard. Life is easy and full of exciting new opportunities like the ability to watch The Godfather or the ability to listen to a brand new episode of Magellan's at the Movies, uh, of which there's going to be another new one next week. So we hope you have a fantastic – Elliot's giving me the wait sign. So what is he doing? Yeah, I just want to say that we have been blowing up recently – or not, I mean, blowing up in comparison to other times. We've had a bunch of new listens. I'm convinced that there's some kind of miscalculation or something, but we've had like hundreds upon hundreds of new listens. So if on the off chance those aren't like Russian bots or something, uh, welcome, everybody. <laughs> I hope you stick around. I hope you enjoy yourself uh, in this new year of Magellan's at the Movies. I, I'm pretty sure something weird is going on. <laughs> well, Elliot's always wary of success. I'm not wary of his success. I'm very excited about success. Yeah, if you're a new listener, we're happy to have you. We're going to be 
like I was saying, we're going to be back here again next week with another brand new episode. We hope you have a great week.